Well, this morning, I, I'd have you join me by turning in your Bibles. Uh, we're going with uh, Revelation chapter 12 today. I think that's where we'll start. Anyway, here's the thing that uh, encourages me a little bit on our study of heaven, and that is, it's going to take us a while to get through all these things, but should the Lord come for us today, I don't have to tell you anything else. Uh, you will see it. And what I'm trying to do is show you exactly what God has told us we will see. We believe his word, don't we? Okay, so as we walk our way through this, we see what God has designed. And and, uh, I find it fascinating. And uh, our desire is to know what God says about it, not what opinions say, not what speculation says. Uh, We separate ourselves from uh, just guesses and we just see what God has said about the heaven we're going to enjoy. And so, that's where we're going to be. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll start to work through some of these things here this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day. Lord, we are are truly blessed for having this opportunity to be together. Thank you for our fellowship, and thank you for just a place that we can be that uh, we can lift our praises before you, that we can open up your word, and we can see it, and we can read it, and we can understand it as you teach it to us. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. We are very blessed people, and we acknowledge that is from your hand. So even as we begin our our time of study here this morning, Lord, we pray that you might uh, guide us through it as we just learn from you, Teach us, Lord, and encourage us with these things and challenge us with these things. And uh, do your work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so far I've gotten you into heaven in our study. And I'm going to have a little help this morning with... uh, Chris is going to put some pictures up here on on the uh, screen for us. Now, if you're trying to jot down these pictures as we go, you won't keep up. All right, But I do want to show you something that I think uh, we ought to appreciate. From the day we sit right now here, and the information we have, it is just incredible. Here's the challenge for you this morning. Try to stand in the shoes, the sandals, I always say this way better. Stand in the sandals of Adam. If he looked into the future, a few days after perhaps uh, he and his wife had eaten of the fruit and were expelled from the garden... If he looked into the future, about what he could see was that he was going to depart. Remember the promise to him? The day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. All right? He knew he was going to depart from this earth at some point. But he also was given one glimpse, and in Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between you and this woman, and between your seed and her seed, He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The one glimpse he had was that serpent was going to be dealt with. Now, the details are not very helpful. I mean, if I were standing there, I'd say, huh, what do we do? That's the only thing we have in Scripture he was told to expect. Try living your whole life just that way. He didn't know what was beyond that. He didn't know. He just figured this is something God had under his control. So that's his future outlook. Not much. All right, let's move on to our next slide. This is what Enoch saw several chapters later in the book of uh, Genesis. Enoch, 
He knew that he was going to depart, although he found out it was an unusual way uh, that God had for him. But he's looking into the future, and Jude actually records a phrase concerning Enoch. In Jude verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his Holy One, and to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners had spoken against him. That is what he anticipated, the only information he was given. That the Lord was going to come down at some time, and we associate that with the second coming of Christ, but he wouldn't have known those terms. But he knew the Lord was coming at some time to render judgment on this earth. That was his outlook. So, not much to work with, right? But he held to it by faith. Next scene, Job. Job lived probably about the time of Abraham. And Job, in his writing, you, you could read of his discussion there, uh, he knew he was going to die too. At some point, he was going to die. At some point in his life, he kind of wished it was that day. He was having a pretty tough time. But in that, he said this one statement, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. So he anticipated something beyond the grave, didn't he? He anticipated that even if I should die, I was still alive. I will see God. So, still not a lot of information for us, but this is the way they had to live. They understood that there was something else out there. Something else to look forward to. Now let's move on to Abraham. Abraham starts to get a bigger picture. Abraham knew he was going to die. But Abraham was also told that God had something special for him. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says, He was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I'm not going all the way through Hebrews 11 with you again to, to bring you back into that picture. But his outlook, he knew he was going to depart, but he knew God had something working that involved promises, yes, but especially involved a city that he anticipated God would build. He was looking for that place. So this is how he walked by faith. Just looking into the future, God has something for me. And that's his anticipation. All right. Let's move on. The prophets, all of a sudden, start to share what God has said. Now, the first handful of prophets who came along, what they saw was trouble, because the people were as sinful as can be. The prophets were sent to tell them, uh, God's going to punish you for that. Until, oh, it's terrible punishment. And the first handful of prophets that spoke really highlighted that issue. There was a great deal of trouble coming as judgment from the Lord. Now, that wasn't exactly spelled out how and duration and all those things, but that's the first glimpse they had that God was going to punish them. Right? It coincides a little with Enoch's message that God was going to do that very thing. But they also saw beyond that. The, the later prophets especially started to write about the fact that it's not just trouble. God's going to deal with trouble, but then he has a plan beyond that trouble. He's going to bring in a kingdom. His own kingdom, the Messiah's kingdom. And he will set it up and everything will change radically from what we were and what we went through to what we will be. God will bless. And that, the early prophets saw this, but they also knew death was on its way. All right? Now, some of the particular prophets add some interesting things, like Daniel. 
when Daniel's prophecy came around, we started to get some parameters for this thing we call trouble. Seven years, he starts to give us details as to how long that trouble was going to be and, and the, the nature of that trouble. So he starts to give us some more particular information. Isaiah saw something really neat at the end of his book. He writes a prophecy where the old earth and the old heaven will pass away and there will be a new one. That was something that no one would have conceived unless the Lord had explained that to him. And all of a sudden the prophets start to say, huh, there's a lot more to this life beyond uh, just where we're living right now. And it starts to fill up the chart. This is what the prophets were looking for. Now, let's move a little bit into the New Testament. Let's go to the next slide. When Jesus starts to teach, what are the Jews thinking? What are the disciples thinking? Well, very much what they read in the Old Testament. All right? They knew of a tribulation. Jesus spells it out very clearly in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, stand in Jewish sandals for a minute. All right? If you're reading these chapters, he's talking to the Jewish people. He's not talking to the church. We have a tendency, and I'll just say it because I, it's my pet peeve, all right? Um, we have a tendency to go into Matthew to prove things like the rapture, issues of the church, and all these other things. That is not the audience he's talking to. And if you read it in a, in a consistent manner, he's not talking about things that we're going to enjoy. He's talking about the Jews going through tribulation. It's part of the process that he is correcting them on. And so Jesus taught on the tribulation. They also knew of the coming of Christ because they kept asking, when is he coming? When is he coming? When is he coming? And that's what they wanted to know. And they knew of the kingdom of the Messiah. They anticipated these things. All right? So if we went back in the days of Matthew or Peter, one of those, in the early days before Christ died on the cross and rose again, this is what we would have seen. That would have been our whole eschatology. Okay, you ready? Next slide. That's us. Now, when I talk about this, be very careful to understand this. How blessed we are where we are now. Compare this chart to what you saw Adam seeing. What you saw Enoch seeing. What you saw uh, the prophets. Or even the disciples in the day of Christ. This is what has been explained to us in the epistles, what Paul shared with us, what Peter shared with us, what John has shared with us. We understand now that we are going to depart. Any new information on that? Well, not if we're going to die, because they saw that all the way from the beginning. But what were we told that's unique? The church could, and the church will eventually, but the church will go up in the rapture. I tell you a mystery, Paul starts to write. Mystery is something not known before. But now it is. It's, it's an information. It's been revealed to you. I show you, I tell you a mystery. That we shall go up into the rapture. We, we've worked through this detail for some time now. When we get up into heaven, remember this is all pertaining to you and me. Judgment seat. Judgment, I like the word ceremony better. Because that's more like what it is. Uh, he will award you, reward you for your service done in His name. We will have a reward ceremony. You will be made absolutely beautiful because that's His design for the church. And then we have the wedding ceremony. Kind of reminiscent of last night, right? We, we have a uh, beautiful wedding ceremony. This is pertaining to the church. Now, that still exists. 
But that's not where we are. We are taken up before that. We're up in the heavens during this seven-year tribulation period. At some point, we're coming back. We're going to get to this, all right? We're working our way through it. We've been in the tribulation now for longer than the tribulation. Uh, but we're going to get through the tribulation here today, I hope. And uh, we will come down, second coming of Christ, the millennial kingdom. All the promises are going to be kept. You're going to see that. All right? You will participate in that. The old earth and the old heavens will be destroyed. The new heaven and the earth will be uh, put together. And we will walk into that too. Just follow the blue arrows. That's you. All right? That's you. Notice it doesn't go down here. I don't want it to go down there. All right? This is for the unbelievers. There is a judgment day for them too. And we will probably discuss that in some time as well. But this is the picture I've been trying to explain to you. All right? We are here. We're up here in the heavens, the present heavens. That's where we are right now. And we're right on the verge of this blue arrow to come back down. Revelation chapter 12. Okay, Chris, you can shut that off so I don't go blind. And uh, let's start digging through the passage here today. Like I said, I managed to get us into heaven. All right. This, these chapters in Revelation chapter 4 all the way through chapter 19 are really precious chapters. There are many hard things to read in these chapters because there is a, a great emphasis on the judgments that are taking place on the earth. But what we are trying to do is look at what's going on in heaven at the same time because that's pertaining to us. Uh, and so we've been looking through these passages and uh, what we will experience. So we, we have noticed several things and events already because we're up to chapter 12, so we've done 4 through 11 at this point. But let me remind you of a couple of things that we have noted, and I'm going to emphasize these on purpose. Um, our eternity, if you want the, the key that sums it all up, our eternity is expressed in the simple phrase that we will be together with Christ forever. Right? We will be together with Christ forever. When he was talking to his disciples just hours before his arrest and his crucifixion, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Alright? And then in Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, We who are alive and remain will be caught up together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, I underscore those two phrases, always be, forever be, together with the Lord, because that sums up what we're going to, to experience. If He's in heaven, guess where we'll be? In heaven. If He comes down to the earth at the second coming, guess what we do? We have to be together with Him, right? We come down with Him. If He reigns for a thousand years on the earth, all these things are true, by the way, but if He's doing that, guess where we are? Forever with Him. When He goes to destroy the present heaven and the earth, you may say, oh no, what are we going to stand on? While He makes a new one. We will be together with Him. Alright? That's key to the whole picture. 
That, that's very, very important that we know this. Wherever the Lord will be, that's where we will be. And so we started into chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. Very appropriately, it started with worship. Worship before the throne. The focus was on that throne. The focus is upon Jesus Christ right there. It's got a focal point that we have to keep. We have to learn that. That's what we're told in Colossians. And if you want one key verse that sums up our whole study, it's Colossians 3.1. Keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, we already know the tribulation period is a time of severe judgments on this earth. These judgments originate in heaven. All right? For all the fears that people have had over the years, oh, we're going to just use our nuclear weapons and blow each other all up. No, God is in control of this, not the world. We fear this group, we fear that group. We say, well, that Antichrist guy, boy, he's going to tear up everything. The judgments originate in heaven. God is in charge. And that's what we started in chapter number 6. In chapter 6, it's Jesus Christ himself who breaks the seals that the judgments come from. He sends them down here uh, onto this earth. Chapter 6 says the Lamb begins to break the seals and the judgments begin all the way through chapter 6 and chapter 7. Yeah, they're terrible chapters when you read the judgments. But we also found some beautiful things along the way. Here we are in heaven. And I'm guessing at this point that we've already gone through our award ceremony. We've already uh, been part of the, the marriage of the Lamb to the bride, the church. And uh, now we're viewing things going on, and we start to see that uh, these new people show up. In Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7, we are introduced to tribulational saints. Now we look at them and say, well, they're not Old Testament saints, because they're, they, well, they're just not dressed like Moses or whatever, right? They're, they're not Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints were already here. And then we say, well, they're not the church age saints, because... The bride is complete. The church has already received their rewards. That era is over. So who are these people? And there's a conversation about that. They're tribulational saints. That's a whole new group of people, saved by the blood of Christ, gone through some terrible times. Most of them will be martyred. But they start to assemble there in heaven before us. And we hear their songs. And we see their worship. And we see their participation. And it excites us. Because of what the Lord is doing. In other words, God is still in charge during the tribulation period. And there is still hope. There are many who come to know Him during that period. So, that's good to see. And we're going to witness such a thing. We're going to hear conversations in heaven between angels and the Lord Himself. And the activities He keeps sending them out to do. And there will be series of judgments, of seal judgments, seven of them. And then... Trumpet judgments, seven more of those. And bowl judgments, seven more of those. And all of these cultivating in intensity, in, in uh, the judgment issue. And we started back last week in chapter number 8, where there was silence in heaven for half an hour. That's, that, like I said, that's got to be an overwhelming idea. Uh, just an experience that we won't, well, we just can't co conceive it. I don't think the residents of heaven could conceive it. 
For all that we know that the angels around his throne are constantly saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And uh, the saints that are praising him constantly, and the angels that are praising him constantly, and the songs that are being sung, and then it's quiet for half an hour. That's pretty serious judgments about to happen. That everyone should stop their praises and, and sit there in anticipation of what's about to happen. That entered into chapter 8 through 11. Intense persecution. It's growing in, in its intensity. The le- last third or half of that three and a half years is worse than the first three and a half years. All these things are spelled out in God's word for us. We are told it takes seven years to complete all of these, but this last half of it is about to begin. And as we look down there, we say, wow, that's pretty intense. Where are you going to be? Witnessing what's going on in heaven. All right? We will be there witnessing what's going on in heaven. So we're going to pick up right here in chapter 12, verse number 7. Let's see our next scene that sets before us. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Uh Uh-oh, war? Does that sound very uh, resting, uh, uh, quiet, uh, war? There's a war in heaven. There are, are opinions out there, obviously, as to this scene. It says there's a war between Michael and his angels with the dragon. The dragon is Satan. The dragon and his angels waged war. They were not strong enough, and they were no longer, uh, no longer was a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon of old was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was known as the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. They're cast down to the earth. No longer have access to heaven. Can you imagine the difference that is going to be when the accuser no longer has access to the throne? That is his, his principal occupation right now, by the way. He loves accusing the brethren. That's what he does. He goes up before the Lord and says, Did you just see that? And he points at one of God's children. We don't need to give him any more ammunition, do we? But that's, his, that's what he loves to do, to point out the failures and the sins of, of God's people. Imagine there will be a day, and we will witness it, when God says, you're not welcome here anymore. Leave. This is the scene we have before us here. There's actually a war to get him out. He's not going to go quietly. There's a war, it says. Now, the events that take place just in the section, people have, have debated, uh, when, when is this going to take place? Uh, uh, some people say, well, this, this war has already taken place. It took place way back in the, the, before the, uh, Satan came down and tempted Adam and Eve. You know, they were thrown out then. Uh, some people say, well, that doesn't explain why he was still up there in Job's day, does it? Uh, some people say, no, it was when, during the life of Christ, you know, when Christ said, he looked up and he saw uh, Satan falling from heaven. And they said, well, that must have been the time when the disciples were obedient to the Lord and going out with the gospel message and, and Satan fell. And, and then uh, some people say, no, it was actually at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins, Satan no longer had room to stand up there, so he was cast out there. 
And yet, here in Revelation, all the indications are that this is pertaining to the tribulation period. I'll tell you why. Scan down a little further in the passage. Verse number 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, notice this, the pronouns, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that his time, knowing he is only a short time. Now, this fits exactly into the tribulation period. The they and the them is in reference to brethren that we will speak of. They and them, those who have faced uh, the need to live an overcoming life, and some of them even died in the process. Matches exactly the tribulational saints. Exactly what they experienced. And then... Satan being cast out, knowing that his time is short, he intensifies his work on this earth in a multiple way. I, did, I don't even have a number to give you. Just He intensifies it because he knows his time is short. What a time period are we speaking of? It's a tribulation period. This is not the present day. This is yet to come. For all that we say, boy, it's, he's working pretty hard today. Wait till he hits this day. This is the picture that we have. Now, some people even add to this. This is a very good reason why we need a new heaven and earth, because Satan's footprints is all over the present heaven. He's been up there pacing around in front of the throne all the time, accusing the brethren. So, perhaps that's true. And maybe all of this sounds a little scary to you. If you've envisioned heaven with a hammock, and a sunshiny day, and a glass of lemonade, and a harp, and some sunshine, and all that, I hate to tell you, that there's war going on. Ephesians tells us that anyway, doesn't it? Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against all these powers in spiritual places. And it's true. But remember, who's in charge? The Lord is. Who are we going to be with? With the Lord. You're going to witness these things. And I don't think you're going to stand there scared to death. You're going to be with your Lord. And that's encouraging when I see that. You're introduced to this uh, tribulational saints, but you're introduced to another group. Chapter number 14. I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with Him were 144,000 having His name and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sounds of many waters and like the sounds of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their hearts. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. He goes and describes more about them in just a couple of more verses. But here is another group that stands there, 144,000 elect of the Jews during the tribulation period. I think there it's proper to say that they're a part of the tribulational saints, but they are a unique group among them. 
God chooses out 144,000 uh, for a particular purpose. And when they start to assemble in heaven, they start to sing a song that we are not allowed to know until they start to sing it. It's a new song. They didn't have choir practice and invite us in. All right? This is a new song, and it says it. And so we're going to listen to a special music, aren't we? It's like, wow, listen to their song. They're going to have a unique song in that what the Lord has used them for and walked them through. And that will be the song that they will sing. We will witness that when we see this group show up too. Remember, that group will be there. Chapter 15, let's move on to another scene while we're going. This is a fascinating picture. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. These are the bold judgments they're about to dump out. Terrible, terrible judgments. Notice verse 2. You want a picture of heaven? And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast in his image, and the number, on their ha- na- number of his name, uh, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, kings of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we see another group start to sing up here a a special song. Obviously they've been through some uh, um, tribulation as part of the tribulation as well, because they're victorious over the beast and his image. They spell that especially in verse number 2. But maybe you've never pictured heaven like a sea of glass with fire mixed in it. Pretty impressive scene, isn't it? And they're standing there singing this song of deliverance that the Lord had brought them through. And the, and the intensity starts to build in verse 5. And these things, after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Remember, the temple is up there, the true one. And the door opens up. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out from the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. There's another thing that is limited in heaven at that moment. The opportunity to go in and out of that temple for worship, it's limited there. It's stopped for some time, restricted, because just the the power of our God, the glory of our God has filled that place. No one can enter it. Impressive, huh? You will see that. You will see that. That's what it tells us. What is about to happen? He's about to pour out the most severe judgments this world has ever seen. He's about to dump it down upon this earth. They're building to that. In just a few chapters, we're going to get to the Battle of Armageddon. But this is powerful. Chapter 16, 17, and 18, it goes and describes. Now, what goes on down on the earth while this is going on? And it goes through the events. The worst days this world will ever know are in those three chapters. All right, 
Now for the fun. Chapter 19. Chapter number 19. All of a sudden, we know something's about to happen. It's something good. A worship service breaks out. All right? We saw that at the start of the tribulation. We're seeing it break out again at the end of the tribulation. After these things, chapter 19 begins. I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders, the four living creatures, fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came up from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you His bondservants, you who fear Him, great and small. Are you going to be part of that group? Yes. What are you going to do? I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah! Learn the word. You need it. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Start with the worship service. Great event is just about to happen. And we're saying, okay, so where are we? We've been up here this whole time, seven years. What has taken place? Remember verse 7 through verse number 9 or so. It tells us that, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the land, Lamb came. That's a past tense verb in the Greek. It already came. It's already done. The marriage of the Lamb is done. His bride already made herself. She prepared herself. It was already done. The bride had prepared herself, made herself ready. It was given to her. That's past tense too. Already done. To her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What's that a reference to? The award ceremony. She had received these things. They were the righteous acts of the saints, right? So that's already taken place. The bride has already been presented. And here they start praising too. The church has been finished. The tribulation is now finished. The work that's gone on up here in the present heaven is finished. Now what do we do? You ready? All right, we've been there for seven years, so let's get out. When he said these things to me, Right. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him that no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is this? The Lord Jesus Christ. What is, what is our key, key understanding of all the events pertaining to us? We will be with Him, right? If He goes somewhere, guess what we do? We go with Him. He has just gotten on a horse. All right? He has just put on his battle array. He is coming. We call this the second coming of Christ. 
Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who's that? That's quite a picture of a bride now, isn't it? This is, this is exactly who we're speaking of. I, I understand. This is the people that he has redeemed. We're talking of the church, the bride here. I'll give you my evidence for this. Uh, let's scan down a little bit further. Let's see, what verse do I want here? Um, well, verse number 14. I just read that. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and we're following him on white horses. Back up, by the way, to verse number 8. They, the bride, was clothed herself in fine linen, bright and clean. Right? Those are the identical words in the Greek. They're the same words. What it says of her putting on there, now she is dressed that way here in verse number 14 as well. Now you say, well, that's a very interesting looking army. Notice what this army does not carry. Swords, spears, just dressed in fine linen. There is no evidence in this passage that this army takes uh, part in the battle itself. They don't need to. The Lord will fight this battle. They don't wear armor at this point. They're non-combatant in this process. But they are supporters of the Messiah. They go with Him. When He goes into battle, they ride along with Him. They ride on horses. I do take that literally, by the way. They ride on horses. Some people say, that can't be. There's no animals in heaven. Well, there's no dogs and cats, thankfully. Uh, But for some reason, he's going to use horses. So if he says he's using horses, I believe it. He comes with horses. If you uh, haven't been riding a horse lately, you might want to practice a little bit so that you're ready for this. But they come with him. Now, some people say, no, those are just the angels. The angels are identified in the Old Testament and New Testament as the the host of the Lord, the army of God, and things of that nature. I think they're going to be part of this, because there's references to them coming. Could you imagine what kind of sight this has to be for those on the earth? Christ is coming with him. His church is coming, that the the world has been uh, um, hating for so long. And here they come in victorious garb with the Savior who redeemed them and His angels with them too. What a sight. And they come down. So, we come with Him. Wherever He goes, we go. Matter of fact, chapter 17, one more, one more glimpse of this, by the way. Chapter 17, if we back up in verse 14, notice this little verse. So you know that this is you. These will wage war against the Lamb. That's talking of the earth people. Waging war against the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. We just read he's going. For he is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Isn't that what's written on him? Alright. And those who are with him are, notice these choice words, the called, the chosen, the faithful. Who's that? That's the church. With him. If you back up even into chapter 2, verse 27, I believe it is, uh, it talks about the overcomers. Those who overcome, church-age believers, will rule with Christ when He rules with a rod of iron. Now here in Revelation 19, where we are, 
in verse number uh, 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So I'm just putting pieces together. What do you have? Those who overcome, rule with them what rod of iron. Those who are dressed in this fine linen are also those who are faithful, called, and chosen, which is the church, and they always go with him. And if he comes for the second coming, guess what? We come for the second coming. We shall come here. Matter of fact, if I understand this right, we won't be residents of the present heaven any longer. Because we will come down with him and we will be with him for the thousand year reign of Christ. True? At the other end of that thousand years, he's going to destroy the heavens and earth and make a new one. So, we're going to be packing the U-Haul trucks just before this event. We're coming down. And our residence will change because our Lord's residence will change. I find all this pretty exciting. When you walk around this passage, and I'm going to, historically, future still, but historically, we're going to hold it right here till next week. But I want to say something before you just close your Bibles and turn off, okay? Look around the world every now and then. Are you encouraged? See things go on in the news, you you see troubles, you, you might be concerned about the future. You certainly can't miss the sins in our land, can you? It's abundant. Our, our society's crumbling around us. You ever just sigh? You ever wish these words, Lord, if you'd only just come back right now. Some people do that before they have to pay a big bill, right? Just, Lord, come and get us. I know, I know, we get weary. We do, don't we? We get weary in a world like this and and we're promised such a glorious future, and, and we get excited about it, and we ought to get excited about it, because it's true, and our Lord said so. You just walk through the seven-year experience that you will have in the present heaven. Should the Lord take us up right now, these events you will witness. All right? Our principal activity was worship Christ. We will be with Him. We will share in His glory. We will participate in His actions. And now while we're here on this earth, what does it mean to say, set your eyes on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not on this earth. Keep seeking things above. I tell you about the future. It affects your present life. It affects where you are right now. The Lord is sovereign in the future. True? Is He sovereign right now? Yes, He is. The Lord is to be worshipped in the future. Is He to be worshipped now? Yes. The Lord is the one that we will be with in the future. Have you spent time with Him today? Oh, he's getting personal again. Yeah. You're going to spend eternity with him. Do you spend any time with him? On your Mondays or Tuesdays? Sunday morning when you got up, have you spent time with the Lord? Don't leave that up to a worship service. Go and spend time with your Savior. I know it's hard. We, we look forward to the future, but we're told to keep looking up. That's our Colossians 3 passage. We're told to keep 
serving. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And John adds in his epistle, chapter 3, 1 John 3, 3, keep pure. Keep pure. Everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. We have a lot to do while we're waiting, don't we? We have a lot to be doing. Let's keep our focus on things above and remember how sovereign our God is and give him the glory. Heavenly Father, we bow before you here this morning. Thank you for your word. We just get glimpses here and there, Lord, and it, it, maybe it's not completely satisfying to the degree that we always want to see more. But you have sufficiently provided us with that information we need that we might remember and always remember that you are the sovereign God and all the glory and the praise and the honor and the strength and the power and the might belongs to you, not just in the future, but today too. Help us to keep our eyes on things above. And Lord, teach us to trust you more, for we need that. We live in a difficult world, and you know that. You even prayed for us concerning that. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. As much as we say we shall be forever with the Lord, it's also comforting to say the Lord is forever with us, even while we're here. You are with us, and we thank you, Lord. We praise you. Lord, you know every single heart in this room. If there might be somebody among us today who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, draw them to yourself. You alone can do that work. Use your word to, to warm their hearts and build that faith, Lord, to bring them to yourself and trust you. We must trust you. We need you as our Savior. We need you as our Lord. And Lord, you can do that. I pray, Lord, if somebody here today needs to hear especially that the Lord Jesus Christ loved them and died for them. Make that evident in their heart. Draw them to yourself. For the rest of us, Lord, we've got a week before us. May we live to your honor, and your glory, and our praise. With our eyes up, our bodies and souls and our minds clean, and our work ever, ever going before your throne. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.